0: Uh, One of the crazy things about this passage is it comes in a place in the Bible where most of my heart and most of my uh, study of the scriptures really um, hasn't been in much. Um, So most of my journey through the scriptures has been really seeing God at work in the Old Testament and how God has promised his people and how he creates. Uh, And then he gives promises and covenants to his people. And And then as you go a little bit further on, you see... Uh, some of the, uh, my son Judah and I like this when God's people go off to battle and, and there's a battle scene happening and God's people win. That's exciting, right? And then you get into the New Testament and you see the birth of Jesus. And as you see um, Jesus coming as a man, uh, coming as a baby I should say, and then growing up as a man and giving his life for his people. And so you see these different movements through the scriptures, but there's one book of the Bible that's been hard for me to enter in, and it's, it's the book of Psalm. And so I believe that the book of Psalm has been one of those books that I kind of run away from or, or stand back from because a lot of times in the book of Psalm you see David is the writer and he communicates in a way with his God that is, is raw and is emotional in some ways. And, and a lot of times he is coming before God and he's transparent and he's giving himself to his God and for me, I grew up, um, and emotions were kind of one of those things you held at arm's length. Um, and so if you're one of those people in this room, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so the journey for, for me jumping into this text has been a good one. God's grown me. Um, even this morning as, as I was walking and talking with God, it was, a, it was a great way for me to see just my transparency and just my communication with Him. And so if you haven't yet, if you'd open your Bible to Psalm 5— uh, if you don't have your Bible, if you have a Bible app, would you please open that? And, and as you do so, I hope that you see that these words just aren't on a page, uh, that David isn't just praying something or singing something um, that he hopes that God would interact with him, but it's, it's truly his heart communing with God, and it's God communing with him. And so you see this, this cry of David and God meeting him. Last week, you uh, heard from Pastor Paul in uh, Psalm chapter 4. And one of the things that Pastor Paul led us into is that God doesn't just want to be the God of just far out from us, but he wants to be the God of our circumstances. And so what Pastor Paul talked about was that um, this Psalm 4 was actually a lament for the evening. So it was an evening lament. So as David cried out to God and God heard him, God would be the God of his circumstance. Well, in Psalm 5, you actually get to see that David is crying out in the morning. And so you get to see his emotions, his crying out to God in the morning. So as we start, I want to pray for us that we would be a people who um, don't just see this as a text, uh, words to pray or sing or lament, but these are actually God's words for his people. So would you pray with me? Father, as we dive into Psalm 5 this morning, I pray that we would commune with you in a real way like David did. I also pray that for those of us in the room that are far from you, that you would draw us close in Christ. That you would forgive our sin and that you would make us one with you. I also pray, Holy Spirit, that as you awaken our hearts, that you would give us light in life. In the same way that as a light is turned on, and the bulb burns brightly in our homes, I pray that you would bring light and life to our hearts and our souls. Father, would you give us a vibrant relationship with your Son as we commune with your Spirit. May you grow us and help us to see Jesus as our protector, our provider, and our Savior this morning. Amen. All right, Psalm 5, uh, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Give an ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So I was in sixth grade, and one of my teachers in sixth grade was an English teacher, and his name was Mr. Johnson. And unlike Pastor Chris, I was not very good at English. Um, I like to mess around in English class, and because I think for the most part, I just didn't get it. Maybe it comes back to having my disconnect with Psalms, right? Um, And so what happened is we're in this English class, and Mr. Johnson was actually pretty good. He would draw pictures on the board. He would help us... connect the old English to the new English, and we would understand the different subjects and predicates and nouns and pronouns, all that good stuff, right? So if you know, if you're good at English this, this morning, or if, if you're in this room and you're good at English, you understand what I'm talking about. If you're not, you're like, Kyle, I don't understand what you just said, right? Um, and so in this class, Mr. Johnson was actually, uh, we felt really connected to him because he actually gave us his life. He gave us his life in real ways. And so there was one particular day Uh, in sixth grade, where we are in this class, and Mr. Johnson is teaching us English, and he stops and just kind of awkwardly bends over like this, and everybody's like, is this part of the class, or what's going on? And he just, in a low voice, goes, and as you all are probably like, this is getting awkward, right? Super fast. We were all the same way. So we're a bunch of sixth graders and half of us are like, oh my goodness, somebody call an ambulance, this dude is going to die. And the other half of us are like giggling because we think it's hilarious, right? And so what Mr. Johnson was doing is he was communicating something, right? He didn't have to actually give us a discourse in English of, well guys, here's what happens when you pass a kidney stone, which is what was happening. And so he didn't like pause from his groaning and stand up and say, okay, here's the process of how kidney stones happen. I'm going to have a lot of pain right now. And, and so literally he was bent over slowly walking towards the door and we hear him like groaning down the hallway. And so we all kind of look at each other like, sweet, no more English. And we we're like terrified and also understood at the same time. And so what Mr. Johnson helped me identify is that he didn't have to use words to communicate something. He actually was communicating very deeply in a a very understanding way. And this morning, I wonder if David can help us with that. You see in verse 1 that David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. So part of the process that David is helping us understand is, number one, David uses words. Notice that. Give ear to my words. Notice the second form of communication that he has with his Lord and his God is his groaning. Number two. Number three, David identifies, give attention to the sound of my cry. What I want you to take away from in this is that the mode of prayer David is unconcerned with. Whether he's using words or groaning or cries, he knows that when he calls out to God, God hears. The beautiful thing about this song is it's a morning lament. Uh, this morning, like I said, I was walking around my neighborhood and And this week, um, there's words that I didn't even know how to pray. I just was sad. And so I would just cry. Or I would just pray. And sometimes, like Mr. Johnson and David, I would just groan because I was in pain. And did I have to worry that God was going to misunderstand me? No. God heard and God knew. Notice David moves in verse 1. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. So I think some of us see God as Lord, as king, and he's kind of far off. But David real quickly moves in verse 2 that God is my king and my God. David and God are not just acquaintances here, but God is known by David and David is known by God. Verse 2, give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. If you're in this room, if, you, if you've heard a baby cry or a child cry, or if your spouse or a friend has cried, you know that there's, there's a moment where, whether it's the, the playground or you stub your toe, you kind of have that moment of like, is this an emergency or should I run right away or what is this cry? And so in the same way, as David cries out to God, God knows, is this an emergency? Is this a comforting situation? Is this a situation where I have to run to the ER? For David, God knows his cry. And in the same way, David writes uh, another psalm in the latter uh, part of Psalm, um, the book of Psalms is Psalm 23. And David actually describes God as the good shepherd. And what do you know about a shepherd is he knows the voice of his sheep, right? And so when a sheep ewes, if I am correct, the shepherd knows exactly that that is his sheep. In the same way, when God calls, when David calls out to God, he knows the voice of his sheep. Verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. The unique thing about David, and I I think there's good times and bad times in our lives, right? As we see God as good in this crazy world that we live in, but in the situation in verse 3, David doesn't actually come to God and try to solve the situation. He doesn't say, God, here are the ways that I want you to solve the situation. Here are the ways that I hope that you work it out, even though that's okay. But what does David do? David entrusts himself to his God. Notice, Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. And so the action that David takes is he actually prepares a sacrifice, offers it to God and says, God, here's my sacrifice. And what does he do? He watches. David entrusts himself. He says, God, here's my voice and I will watch. Consider for a minute, if if you haven't read much of the Bible or you don't know much about David, um, David not only was a king, And he was a great king who ruled over thousands of miles of territory, but he was also a warrior. And so if you take into consideration, if you know those people who are in places of leadership, like kings or governors or or pharaoh, you know, those types of things, David doesn't take his kingly self and come to God. Right? He doesn't say, God, I am a king and I would want you to hear me because of my kingly position. Right In the same way that David doesn't come to God and say, um, Hey God, I'm a warrior. Um, I, I can take out bears and lions and, and people over nine feet tall. He doesn't come with either of those situations. I mean, there's even a, a circumstance where David and Saul go after war. And David and Saul come home. And what was the song? The people were singing that Saul would take out thousands and David would take out ten thousands. There's even a moment where David says, Man, I am so thirsty, and he has this group of men who would actually go and get a glass of water for him and go and fight for David. And so you get this this glimpse into David's life that not only is he a king and a warrior, but he lays all that down and says, My king and my God, I lay my sacrifice to you, and I'm going to watch you. I'm not going to take the strength that I have. I'm not going to take the people behind me that I have. I'm going to watch you. David is solely reliant on God hearing and acting. Another beautiful picture of that. So I want to take us to Exodus chapter 3. Another beautiful picture of that is when God's people are in slavery in Egypt. So if you are Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. And now behold, the cry of my people of Israel have come to me. And I have seen their oppression, which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you. That I have sent you, when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The beautiful picture there is that God hears his people, right? And so they're in slavery, and God doesn't just rush in, but he says, Hey, Moses, I'm going to call you. And he does it in this pretty profound way. He has this bush that is burning, but is not burning up. And so God calls to Moses, and then he sends Moses into a crazy situation. Similar to David, he, he doesn't try to fix everything, but God sends him in and, and Moses is God's mouthpiece. And so as Pharaoh hears God's words, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and eventually God saves his people. And so the promise here is pretty interesting that God would save his people, but at the latter in verse 12, as you see Exodus 3, that as God would save his people, he's going to bring him out of Egypt. And when he brings them out, he's going to meet with them again. And so there's a, an, I'm going to save that for a future part in this sermon, but God's promise to meet with his people at that very mountain is coming. So God hears his people in the midst of their adversaries. And so I have some questions for you. Do you believe that God is a God who answers prayer? And so that that's one of the, the pivotal moments I think in every person's life is is, is, is this just a, being a Christian is a part of doing the right things, or or is it really a heartfelt communication, understanding that God knows me and I know him? Because I believe if we truly believed that God heard and answered prayer, that we would actually pray more boldly. God, would you heal? That we would pray more fervently and more often. And if you're like me, maybe I'm going to be preaching to myself this morning. But if you're like me, sometimes and quite often we think that prayer is like an umbrella. Where the storms outside are coming and we don't want to get wet. Or we're getting ready to go to a soccer game and we want to protect ourselves from the sun. And so like prayer, we take our umbrella out and we're ready for those circumstances of life. But when things are going okay and seem to be going great... We put the umbrella in the closet and we soon forget, where, where is that thing again? Or like my kids, they're in the living room and they don't even know what an umbrella is because we often don't bring it in the car. Or they know what it is, but they don't know what it's for, right? And so we forget the meaning and the purpose behind prayer. Uh, one of my uh, friends in our gospel community, he, he says it this way, that prayer would be an communi- ongoing communication with God all day long. That it would be a part of our, our as we're walking, it would be part of our driving, it would be part of our conversations. As we're talking with somebody, God, what are you up to? God, how would you give me peace? How would, how would you have me talk to this person? It would be a prayer, ongoing prayer. When speaking of prayer, Charles Spurgeon says, prayer girds human weakness with divine strength. He turns Prayer turns human folly into heavenly wisdom and gives to troubled mortals the peace of God. We know not what prayer can do. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning um, in the same way that David prays. This might be a reboot for you. It might be an encouragement. It might be a way that you would um, be spurred on to follow the Lord Jesus in prayer as David calls out to his God. And so in the same way, Spurgeon says, friends, if you need encouragement this morning, God will meet you in prayer. If you need strength this morning, God will meet you in prayer. If you need hope this morning, God will meet you in prayer. I want to take a minute and ask a few questions. As we think of our attention and our, um, maybe our hearts, our minds this morning, where is your attention at this morning? I think we can be present, but sometimes our minds are in different places, right? Maybe you're hoping that that job that you're hoping for will get, well, you will actually get that job and it'll solve your money problems. Maybe you're hoping that, man, if my spouse could just get their act together, then our marriage would actually be better. Maybe you're hoping that after you buy that new car, that house, that you will find satisfaction Or maybe that new business strategy that you've been hoping to implement will be implemented, and then you'll be able to hire the right people or maybe sell the right things or sell the right quantities. Maybe you're hoping that after this deployment, the extra money will come um, and life will get easier. Maybe you're hoping that after this residency or new orders, life will actually kind of plateau and you can actually calm down and kind of recover. The truth is, is that we all have a tendency to look to that next thing is going to solve our issues or solve our problems. And, it's, and, and, the, and the sad thing is, is that next thing comes and then we're hoping for the next, next thing. So what does David do? He doesn't run to fix or try to busy himself with things to do. But he says, God, here I stand. I lay all that I have before you and I watch. Verses 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness, and evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies, and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. The truth is that in these verses, God pretty poignantly says that he hates evil. And more specifically, God hates those who do evil and continue to do evil. Verse 4, God hates evil and God and evil do not coexist. The phrase in verse 4, evil may not dwell, means the same thing in verse 5. As you see that, shall not stand. Verse 6, you destroy. David is saying the same thing three different ways. God and evil do not coexist. David isn't saying that if you lie one time that God's going to destroy you. That's not what he's saying. But David is saying that if God is not your king and not your Lord and not your Savior, that the evil that comes from being separated from him actually leads you toe-to-toe with God. And when you stand toe-to-toe with a God who is holy and righteous and perfect, you will not stand. If you're in this room this morning and God is not your king and not your Lord, I want to to encourage you to take these words seriously. This is not a shame. This is not a terror tactic. This is the truth that God is holy and he does not deal well with sin. God does not play around, but David does not leave us there. David doesn't, as he's having this conversation with God, as he's praying, he doesn't leave us there, but he moves us into verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. So as we see our sin and our brokenness, we can actually run to God. And before we were not actually welcomed into his house, but we are now welcomed into his house. How are we to do that? But I, so David says in verse 7, I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, so to answer the question this morning, how do we stand before a God who doesn't deal well with sin? How do we stand before a God who opposes the proud? How do we stand before a God who actually punishes sin? Well, it's actually because of God's steadfast love. So we don't enter God's house because we've gotten our act together. We, haven't, we don't enter God's house because we pray and we hope that there's some change, right? We actually enter God's house because of God's work first. This is in contrast to verse 4, right? We see that God does not delight in wickedness. David is showing us that it is through God's abundant and steadfast love and God's presence that we are saved. So I kind of mentioned earlier in Exodus chapter 3 that there's a flash forward point. So as Moses goes and actually is obedient to God, God says, hey, I'm going to meet with you again. So I want to have you go to Exodus chapter 34. So as God says, hey, I'm going to meet with you again. He actually meets with him again uh, at this mountain. Exodus 34 chapter 6. This is a great picture of God's steadfast love. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions in sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped and said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity. And our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall seek the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you today. Do you see the the comparison? Not the comparison, but do you see the similarity? Psalm 5 is through God's steadfast love. And and the picture here is that, I want to give you a little backstory. is as the Israelites uh, were saved out of Egypt, God actually brings them out of Egypt. Pharaoh doesn't officially listen the first nine or ten times or so until he loses his son. And Pharaoh says, leave Egypt, just get out of here. And so God saves his people, and as they are leaving Egypt, Pharaoh comes after them, Moses leads them, God leads them, Through the Red Sea, they're saved. And they get to the mountain. And so mountain, uh, Moses actually goes up to the mountain. He's talking to God. And God actually gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And he's talking uh, to Moses about the ways that he wants his priests to serve. Um, Moses is actually listening and and trying to take all these things down in his heart. And God's people actually are at the base of the mountain rebelling. They're saying there's no way Moses is still alive up there. There's lightning and there's thundering. And I don't don't, think... Aaron, you need, to, you need to save us. There's, there has to be something um, that we can run to, right? And so they think Moses is not alive anymore. They think Moses is not coming down. And so they ask Aaron, Aaron, would you make for us a golden calf? We want to run back to the idols that we used to worship in Egypt. And so Aaron actually kind of succumbs to their desires, and he takes all their gold, and they make this golden calf, and they are caught in sin and idolatry again. And so Moses goes down and calls them to repent. He goes back up on the mountain, and this is where God promises his covenantal love. So the the Israelites haven't gotten to a place where they're doing all the right things, and then God receives them. Actually, God receives them because of his covenantal love. God welcomes them in in the midst of their sin and actually calls them back to himself. Do you see that? And so the same God who has given promises to his people for the past 10,000 plus years is the same God who gives, keeps his covenantal love to his people today. So as the people stand at the base of the mountain as they wrestle, God, are you are you going to save us? Are you just brought us out here to kill us. God actually keeps his covenant with his people. So the Jesus Storybook Bible, if you've read that, uh, there's a phrase in there that I love. God's, and this is what it says, God's, God's love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever kind of love. God's covenant and his promises to his people is God giving himself to his people because of God's great love for us. This is good news, friends. And the reason that this is good news is because not only did God just give us his covenant, but he gave us his son. And so in the moment that we needed a savior, God sent his son in perfect timing. That Jesus would come as a baby, that he would live a perfect life that we could not live. That Jesus would go to the cross, that he would die the death that we deserved, and that he would give us freedom. And so we see this picture that God draws out, is that God actually hears the cry of his people and he answers them. God doesn't leave us in verses 4 through 6, but actually God gives us hope. That he welcomes us, but through the abundance of his steadfast love. Verse 8 Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth, their inmost self is destruction, and their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. A few days ago, my kids were actually outside. I was telling Ella and Judah this. I was going to share in the old boy, right? Um, But what they did is they took this broom and they twisted off the end with the bristles, right? And one of them was on the front and they were holding it. And the other was on the back. And so they had to close their eyes. And as they were leading each other around the front yard, they were saying, Okay, so listen to my voice. Follow me. We're going to go around this tree. And if there was an obstacle along the way, they would say, Okay, it's time to jump. And they would go around the front yard. One would lead and one would follow. The leader was actually giving the direction. And so we see in verse 8, David says, Lead me in your righteousness, O Lord. David prays and asks God for the same thing as my kids did, but a little bit more, a lot more. That God would lead us by his righteousness. David's heart is to follow God, and yet he is surrounded by people who are adversaries of God. Maybe you find yourself here this morning. Maybe you feel alone in this fight. Maybe you feel alone in the journey and you feel like you're surrounded by adversaries. People who are speaking lies about you. People who are speaking injustices. People who actually aren't for you, but are against you. Take heart, friends. For in verses 10, or verses 11 and 12, actually David points us to the One who we find refuge in, verse eleven, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you, for you bless the righteous O Lord, and cover him with favor as with a shield, in contrast to verses eight, nine, and ten, we see that David is surrounded by his enemies, right actually, one of the the words in the above uh, verses is that, is that there's people that have a sticky tongue, a slippery tongue. One that has actually easily you can be easily deceived. And so what, is, what does David say? He actually says when we find refuge in God, the ones who surround us are not our enemies anymore, anymore but actually we find a refuge in Him. God takes us and He protects us and covers us. The accusations, they cease. The deception is silenced. We are now under God's protection. And I want to remind you of where we started this morning. So as we finish, we see that God is surrounding his people. At the beginning of this, we see actually David cry out, God, would you be a good God in this crazy, wicked, and wild world? We're reminded in verses 1-3 through that actually David cries out, he laments, he's calling out for his God. And why does David do that? Why does he use words and groaning and cries? Well, it's because he knows that his God hears. And he knows that his God's voice will hear his cry. David's God and our God protects us today. He blesses us and he blesses his people and he answers prayer. For how do we know that God will defend us against our adversaries? David says that God will help us overcome, not because of our works, but because of his steadfast love. David says we overcome because, more specifically in verses 11, it is through God's blessing. In verse 12, I want you to notice this phrase. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him as with favor. Another way to translate you cover is actually you crown him. You give him kingly position. As David cries out to God and as we cry out to God, God actually crowns us. He says, "Here is my blessing, here is my favor, and I will cover you as with a shield as with my favor." And so I want you to know church that as you experience trial and tribulation as you go through Uh, people saying lies about you, that the Lord actually will surround you with his shield. And it's not that the the Lord actually surrounds you, but he actually gives you favor, that we actually are ruling and reigning with him, that he actually provides his favor, and it is because of his favor that we actually enter into His steadfast love. Churches, you are crowned with his royal blessing and protected with his favor as with a shield, I pray that you would be comforted and encouraged that not only would God be David's king and his God, but he would be your king and your God as you experience trial and may he be your refuge. Amen?